0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orrico. You can find me on Twitter, at Joe Orrico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. We have a lot of cool features that have dropped there over the last week or so. Our draft guide is live. It is officially live, and we are going to continue to add pieces to it. Over the coming days and weeks, but there are currently 11 articles for you to go through right now. There are a couple of my rankings articles that are up catcher and shortstop. There are a ton of features. We have a ton of dynasty content in there as well. So you guys should really be taking a look at sportsethos.com, checking on the MLB tab, and also giving us a follow over at ethos fantasy BB on Twitter. Help us grow that account out a little bit more. Now, today we are going to be taking a look at relief pitcher rankings. We're going to try and get it done all in one show today we're going to do the top 25 and i think even at 25 that's a pretty solid number once you're at that point the last couple of names on that list uh, you know you're not feeling as comfortable obviously which is the you know status quo for any position once you get to that point there are certainly some dart throws once you get to that range guys that should have their closer roles or at least some kind of closer Platoon going on uh, with their respective teams. And we're going to get into them. Obviously, the first half will be more interesting than the second half, depending on who you are. Some people might listen to these things specifically for your deeper targets. And we have a couple of deeper targets as well here as we get into the later teens and early 20s. There are some guys that I really like, uh, but the closer position is actually fairly strong. And it's why, you know, if you're playing in different leagues, it, it really impacts how you look at the position. If you're in a standard 12 team league, there are a lot of closers for you to take a look at. Like, everybody in that 12-team league, depending on how aggressive you are, should come away with one solid, solid closer at least. You can argue for sure 10 guys that you're very comfortable with, and I think there's probably about 13 or 14 that you can be pretty okay with going into the season. Obviously, it depends on how deep your league is, your level. I mean, First of all, if it's head-to-head or roto, that makes a difference because head-to-head, you do want to take probably an extra closer in there because of the week-to-week volatility. You might take Josh Hader and Edwin Diaz, and they might go a week and not have any saves. That's just the nature of, of saves in general, and it's kind of the way it works with different all the different stats in fantasy baseball. You might have Jordan Alvarez and Vladimir Guerrero as your first two picks, and you might have no home runs in a given week. That's the nature of head-to-head. So you do want to bulk up specific categories more, and I think saves are one of them. So you might want to take an extra, maybe a third or fourth closer, depending on how deep your league is, in those head-to-head leagues where with Roto. You probably don't need to go as deep, you know, where if you're taking four closers and head-to-head, you maybe go with three in a roto league. That's generally how I'm going to look at it, and also depends on the quality of the closer you have. But we're going to kick it off right here with my number one closer, and I may be the only person in the industry who has him as my number one closer. I haven't really gone through industry relief pitcher ranks. I don't know what anybody is doing, really. Uh, But I'm pretty sure that nobody else is going to have him as the number one, and that's Josh Hader for me. I am a huge Josh Hader fan. I have been forever and a day. And I know, I know last year was atrociously bad for him. It started off ridiculously good. Josh Hader, at the start of last season, was looking like he was going to have an incredible season. He hadn't given up a run in April. He didn't give up a run in May. And then the wheels kind of fell off a little bit, not so much in June, more so in July and August. He was brutal in those middle months. His ERA in July, 12.5, and in August, 19.06. Now, granted, those came over fairly small inning sample sizes, nine and five uh, innings respectively. And then in September and October, he threw 10 and a third uh, and only gave up, I believe, one Yeah, it was one earned run over his final 10 innings of the season. So he did finish strong. And if you're looking at Josh Hader, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. It's more, maybe the thing I've mentioned the most on my podcast throughout this offseason are the personal struggles that Josh Hader dealt with last year and why we have to kind of throw the season away for him. It wasn't really the best season for him in any regard. Uh, on the field, he was not good. His wife had pregnancy complications. He was traded in the middle of the year. There was a lot of shit that Josh Hader had to deal with. And if you also look at the statistics, you know that ERA at five twenty two was brutal. But if you're looking at the advanced pitching indicators, the XERA, the FIP, and the XFIP were all pretty good three five, three four five, and two nine four. I'm gonna take a look at his Sierra here. I'm not sure what that was, but his Sierra last season was two thirty eight. He was not. Getting the results that he probably should have gotten, he also had an incredibly high BABIP for him. It was three thirty three. His career BABIP is two forty five. He was stranding only sixty seven percent of base runners last year, and he typically, for his career, has stranded eighty three percent. And only in twenty twenty one it was ninety two percent. And you know, ninety two percent for a lot of people would be crazy high, stupid outlier. For him it's not really I mean I'm not the greatest math person if you take away this 67% from this year you're looking at his career average is probably about 87% 85% in terms of left on base so it was just a bad year for him you know he was still striking out a lot of batters 37% which is lower than his career total which is 43% but he was walking batters right in line with his career rate about just under 10% 9.5% and he's pitching for one of the best teams in baseball so there are going to be a ton of save opportunities for him uh, when it comes to him versus Edwin Diaz, I don't think it, it is a big gap, but with Edwin Diaz, who is my number two, and I guess you can kind of talk about them together, there is that year-to-year volatility with Diaz that we have seen, and you know the even and odd year stuff, even though I'm not one who's going to rarely buy into that so much, he's not somebody who every year has been you know a number one closer, and it's the way that it generally works with closers. The number one guy from the year before tends to go as the number one guy off the board in the next year, and that's what's happening here. I believe uh, with Diaz, I'm just gonna pull up these most recent drafts and make sure that Colosse hasn't jumped over him because sometimes Emmanuel Colosse does go a little bit higher than him. Um, 23 and 26, those are their respective ADPs right now. I- I'm I'm big on Edwin Diaz, like he is my number two closer. But that volatility year to year, I'm not really sure that we can buy in and say he is going to be as good as Hater is in any given season. Uh, looking at the skill set, it's still incredible. Like the strikeout rate last year was 50%. Overall, he's he's striking out and walking batters at the pretty similar rate to what Hayter is doing. I just think when you're looking at what Hayter has done over so many seasons, he has been the guy now for three, four. I guess going back to like twenty nineteen, he's been the best closer in baseball. One bad year where there are a lot of extra complications don't really take that away from me. I'm still taking Hader as my first closer, and it's why I feel very comfortable to wait a little bit because you are getting Josh Hader a bit later than you're getting those other guys. Now, his price is going up, Josh Hader, before you were getting him in the 40s, and you can still get him in the 40s if you're playing on Yahoo. I did a Yahoo mock draft earlier today, and I got him at 48 or something like that. He's going at 35 in the NFBC drafts, and I guess that does make sense. But he is still a lot cheaper than Diaz and Classe. You can get him in the third round, but those guys are going in the second round. And I do believe in the skill set at least as much and probably more, certainly more than Classe, because Classe does kind of lack in the strikeout department, and that is a huge aspect of you know having any pitcher on your team is how many strikeouts they get. Classe is, is amazing, and his ratios are incredible. But you're probably going to get incredible ratios from Hayter and from Diaz as well, and I'm more so confident in that with Josh Hayter. With Colossae, you're going to get a similar outlook, You know, probably you know, not as good of a team as you're talking, and definitely not as good of a team uh, as you're talking about with Diaz and Hayter. And you're probably going to get, not even probably, you're definitely going to get fewer strikeouts out of him than you would out of these two guys. So pretty solidified one through three there with Hayter. Diaz and Classe and a lot of people I've seen and this is I haven't looked at any recent rankings but people earlier in offseason were talking about Josh Hader as being like seventh or eighth in their closer list if people want to rank him there and I haven't looked at anything recently like I said off the top I'm trying to avoid rankings especially when I'm focusing on a a specific position for a couple days I try to not look at anything ADP data or rankings but man I, I feel like Hader is really really undervalued at this point because of one bad season. If you look at the projections for next year, he is projected to have 34 saves. He's projected to have a 310 ERA, which would be higher than those other two guys. But I think that when you're looking at the projections, they are going to wait last season more than they probably should because that's the nature of projections. They are going to look at the most recent three-year sample size and they're weighting everything that happened more recently a little bit higher. Uh not I'm not a projection guy, but I believe that is how it works. If you look at 2021 it's going to be weighted a little bit less than 2020 in the projections, and I think in general projections are not looking at 2020 so much. I think they try and go back to 2019. But Josh Hader, however you look at it, for me is number one. Like there, there is no—I mean, you can make the argument sure <clears throat> that he was bad last year, but like we've talked about ad nauseum, there are so many complications that he had last season. We almost always look at these people, these players, as nothing more than almost video game characters to us as, you know, they don't perform this year. Uh, He sucks next year. I'm not taking him because whatever. And a lot of the time that whatever doesn't really go so deep in terms of analysis. A lot of the time it is, you know, you just look at the stats, you just look at the ERA and you say it was bad. So I'm out on him. There's a lot more to it than that with Josh Hader. So I'm definitely in with him at number one. Diaz at two and Classe at three. I love Emmanuel Classe. You know, if you end up with Emmanuel Classe, there's no reason to be disappointed or anything. The strikeouts aren't bad. They're still, he's still striking out more than a batter per inning, 28% K rate with that sparkling 3.7% walk rate, but you're not getting that same 35, 40% K rate that you're getting with the other guys. Plus Cleveland, I know Cleveland is a good team, but they're not as good as the Padres. They're not as good as the Mets you're probably going to be looking at fewer opportunities for him just by the nature of the team he plays on. And, you know, how much you want to weigh that, it's up to you. Because like we talked about a couple days ago with Spore, with Paul Spohr, um, Daniel Bard had 34 saves, and the, the Rockies won 68 games last year. So it is kind of random. There is a randomness element to it. But I think the floor, or the ceiling and the floor, honestly, are higher with a guy like Hayter as opposed to Classe. Classe may end up with, like, a lower whip but I would probably take Hater in all the other categories. He's going to give you more saves. He's going to give you more strikeouts. Wins are almost impossible to predict for any relief pitcher. They're almost all projected for three or four victories, depending on who you look at, where you look. Uh, There's only four pitchers based on ATC that are projected to have five victories, and it is kind of random. So you can't really look at that so much. Uh, You're looking at the saves. You're looking at the strikeouts. You're looking at the ratios. And for me, it's pretty clearly Hater, Diaz, and then Classe. With number four on my list, I have Ryan Presley, and Ryan Presley also has the luxury of pitching for one of the best teams in baseball, where he will not lack for save opportunities, and I know, I know that people have talked about, and you know, our buddy Ryan Bloomfield has mentioned it a couple of times, it was more so in 2021, about how he just didn't save nearly as many games as he should have, 26 saves over 64 games for arguably the best team in baseball. Uh, He should have had a lot more, and this past season we saw that number, you know, saves per games played was a lot higher, 33 saves in 50 games. You're getting those elite strikeouts with Ryan Presley. You're getting a 35-ish, you know, call it 32 to 35% K-rate from him. He's done that every year going back to 2018. That is who he is at this point. The saves will come. And I know that it has been kind of, you know, it was a struggle in 2021 for sure. This past season, he still gave you 33 saves, even though he was out for a little bit of time. Uh, Montero was taking over saves in that bullpen. He still ended up with 33 saves. He still gave you good ratios. It was, uh, what was the ERA? 298 was his ERA last season. Uh, There's no worry for me with Ryan Presley at all. And I think the fact that, and the whip last season, by the way, 0.89. Uh, the only real thing that you can look at is say, well, he you know he doesn't usually get as many saves as he probably should. Well, that's that's random. It, it's total bullshit. I think to look at something like that and try and carry it over year in and year out. I think there are so many different random variables with bullpens that you know you're going to have a season where you might be a closer and you might be the best closer in baseball and only end up with 31 saves or 28 saves where it should have been 40. And that's going to happen. But with Ryan Presley, you're still looking at a fairly young guy who can be pretty – well, I mean fairly young. 34, I guess for a pitcher, it's not that old at that point. You're, you're not like losing skills really at that point. Most pitchers aren't anyway. Uh, most pitchers, you can see them still maintain their stuff into their mid-30s, generally mid to late 30s. Um, with Ryan Presley, I'm looking at him and I'm seeing no real concerns whatsoever in terms of drafting him for next season. You're talking about a team that is the reigning World Series champion. There are going to be a lot of wins. They're going to win probably 100 games. Presley is on the short list of guys who could end up with 40 saves next season while giving you incredible strikeout numbers and also good ratios. So I have him at number four pretty comfortably there. And I have Rizel Iglesias at number five. And these guys are pretty close. At the end of the day, you're probably going to get similar strikeout numbers. I think Iglesias will probably walk a few less batters. Uh, they're they're very, very close. These two, for me, are are neck and neck, and they did bounce back and forth a little bit before this episode over the last couple of days while I've been putting these rankings together. Iglesias is incredible. He's going to give you, I mean, it's a very similar argument to what I just said about the previous guy, specifically Presley. Very good team, you know, great team, and that's a common theme here for a lot of these guys at the top of this list. They pitch for very good teams, and that's not necessarily, like it doesn't have to be there for a closer to be great. Uh, We saw Daniel Bard was great last season on a terrible team. But if you're pitching on a good team, you're much more likely to get more save opportunities. And we're talking about a pitcher already in Iglesias who strikes out a hell of a lot of batters. He doesn't walk that many guys. You're talking about this last season, 5.7% K rate or 5.7% walk rate, and the year before was 4.4, 5.5. He's not a big guy with the free passes. Career walk rate is 7.2%, and he's been under that in three straight years. So I'm not really worried about that so much. He is going to be the everyday closer. He will get the bulk of the role, and he is projected across all the different systems to have 30-plus saves, another guy where it would not shock me if he ends up with 40. Again, Iglesias and Presley. Very close for me. And even the guy below them, Jordan Romano, I have at number six. Also very close. And these projections for all three of these guys, you know, you're talking about the K-9 projections. You're talking about they're all within, you know, what is it, .3, .4 of a strikeout. Romano is a little bit higher on the walk side, which is why he is a little bit lower for me. He does tend to give a few more free passes away than he probably should if you're looking at these last couple of seasons. Last year was better than the year prior, but 8.1%, 9.9%. He's probably going to give away a few more free passes than you would generally like. So that is why he is a little bit lower. But in this range, this is still this is an elite tier of closers, of of relief pitchers, anyway. Uh, well, they are all closers, but we're talking relief pitchers in general. Presley, Iglesias, and Romano firmly make up, and I'm not really tiering my rankings, but they're pretty firmly the second tier after that first tier of Hader, Diaz, and Classe. And maybe you put Classe in a tier of his own because he's a little bit different than Diaz and Hayter. Uh, but those guys in the top six, they are very much so ahead of the other guys in my projections. I think that the guys below them... You're not going to be bad if you end up with them. I said it off the top that I'm happy to end up with you know the top 13 or 14 guys here. But I think after Jordan Romano, there is a little bit of a fall-off here once you get to number seven. And number seven for me is Ryan Helsley. And with Ryan Helsley and the guy who was right behind him at number eight, Devin Williams, also fantastic projections. They're calling for 30-plus saves, great strikeouts, sub-three ERAs. They're looking very promising for this season, but there's also a risk with both of them. Of not being closers for the entire year with Helsley, you got Giovanni Gallegos. You also have the fact that Helsley kind of just burst onto the scene out of nowhere last year, and maybe he's not quite as good as we're hoping. You know, uh, he he was fantastic. Don't get me wrong; like he had nine wins, he had 19 saves, he had a 1-2-5 ERA. But that was you know kind of an outlier. Maybe he doesn't do it again, and there is a little bit of risk there. Despite the fact that I still think he is elite. You know, that 13K per nine doesn't grow on trees, 40% K rate. Uh, He is an elite pitcher, but maybe he takes a step back this season. Maybe he loses the job to Gallegos. There's not as much security with him as I might like. And with Devin Williams, I think the job is secure for him in Milwaukee. uh, But the reason he is number eight for me as opposed to, I'm not even sure where he's going based on ADP. I think it's, I think it's just outside the top 50 at this point. Um, I'm just not sure that he is going to be on the team the entire year. You know, we talked about the Braves with James Anderson last week. It was early last week, I think. And, you know, the way we were both seeing it is, you know, Williams is somebody who could very easily be traded midseason to another team that is in need of bullpen help. And he would not necessarily serve as a closer on whatever team he is going to. Maybe he does. And if he's traded to one of the teams where, you know, one of these guys are ranked below him in my rankings, you know, if he's traded to whoever, I don't know, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, not, he's not going to Pittsburgh, Detroit, or Chicago, or wherever. Uh, you know, maybe the White Sox, if Liam Hendricks doesn't come back as soon as they're hoping, maybe he ends up being a Chicago target. But I think there is a lot of risk of him being traded and not maintaining that closer role for the entire season. So that's where a lot of my worry does come from with Devin Williams, despite the skills being pretty unimpeachable at this point. Like he is, He is fantastic. The last couple of seasons... He's striking out literally more than 14 batters per nine innings, 40% K rates. The ratios are just, are just beautiful when you look at them. You know The whip, 1.01 and 1.19 the last two seasons, but the ERA, 1.93 and 2.50. And the pitching indicators are all saying this is who he is. Uh, his FIP last year, 2.01. The year prior, 2.82. For his career, he's a 2.03 ERA, a 2.34 FIP. And at 2.59 XFIP, that is just telling us that he is getting the results that he is deserving to get based on the pitches he is throwing. The only real worry for me is that he gets traded and that he ends up on a team where he is going to be in an eighth-inning role. And maybe he gets a couple saves, kind of like the the of Glacius of last season. Maybe he goes to another team trying to strengthen their bullpen for the playoffs, and he ends up losing value because he's not getting the bulk of the role anymore. He's not getting the bulk of those nine-inning chances. So that is my concern with Devin Williams. I still think he is elite, and if he doesn't get traded, he could very easily end up as a top—maybe not very easily—but I could see him ending as a top five closer. You know, he only had 15 saves last year because he took over part way through from uh, from Josh Hader being traded. But you know, you could realistically look at him and say 30 saves. You know, 100 strikeouts, great ratios, and a couple of wins added in there. Uh, I I like him a lot. I love him. I love Devin Williams. He's a great pitcher. There's just a little bit of concern for me about. You know, will he have that ninth inning role the entire season? But moving on from those two guys is Kenley Jansen at number nine. And Kenley Jansen, I think, is a great bargain this year, specifically if you're playing in Yahoo leagues. I'm finding myself drafting him a lot in these mock drafts that I'm doing. He's going pretty late. I'm not looking at Yahoo ADP data right now, but he's going somewhere in the like 80s and 90s typically. And I'm not even sure right now where he's going in the NFBC. Let me take a look. Uh, 75. So you're getting him about a round or so later, depending on how deep your league is. Uh, then you probably should be. And I, you know, with Kenley Jansen, he's not somebody where we're you know that solidified anymore in terms of knowing exactly what he is going to do. I mean, his ERAs are higher than what they used to be, but he's still striking out a lot of batters, even if it's not who he struck out, you know, the same numbers he used to strike out earlier in his career. Uh, He's still giving you like a 30% K rate. Last year, he had 41 saves, and it was for a much better team than he's on than this year. So you'll probably have to bake in some regression there in the save total. And I think the projections have it pretty nailed down. 28 and 29 is the projection for saves, wherever you're looking. Uh, The bat, ATC, zip, steamer, they're all calling for 28, 29. With slightly reduced strikeouts, they think that strikeout rate will go from about 32 to about 28, 29. But at that point, you're still getting good strikeouts. You're going to have, I think, probably 30 saves, and the ratios for him. You know, the ERA, it's not going to be the same kind of ERA boost that you're going to get from these earlier guys we're talking about your Devin Williams is in your class A's and those kind of guys, but you're still probably not going to get an ERA that's above about three, five from him. I think that'd be generally what you can expect a whip, probably in the 1.1 range somewhere. And overall, I'd be pretty happy to be getting that specifically where he is going. If you miss out on one of the earlier closers, I take Kenley Jansen close to pick 100 and you're still getting a guy who has the role solidified, you know, Boston is a little bit crazy in terms of their closer usage. You know, I don't know what's going to happen there. I think Whitlock is going to be a starter. I'm not sure about Houck. I'm not sure about Schreiber. There's a, a lot of guys, and I think they have Chris Martin now, too. There's a lot of guys who could potentially have some chances here and there, but I think Kenley Jansen will get the bulk of the opportunities, and I feel very comfortable drafting him to be uh, my my number one closer on a fantasy team. And that is, I mean... I wouldn't necessarily want to go about it that way, but if it did happen that I missed out on some of the earlier names and he was my number one closer, I wouldn't be disappointed in it. I think it's still very fine. Uh, I wouldn't wait too long after him to get your number two closer because, you know, he is a little bit on the older side at this point. How old is Kenley Jansen, actually? Uh, He's only 35. I thought he was a little bit older. He's not that old, but at that point, you know, maybe because he has so much tread on the tires. And I mean, I'm talking about Ryan Presley earlier and saying, you know, He's not that old at 34. It doesn't feel like he's that old because he doesn't have that many miles under him. I mean, um, Jansen's been pitching since 2010, and I'm not even sure when Presley debuted. Let me take a look, but it was definitely after 2010. It was 2013, so I guess it just feels like he hasn't been around for quite as long. Even though they're a similar age, uh, Presley's definitely the guy I would trust more there. That's not even close for me. Uh, You're getting more strikeouts. You're getting fewer walks with Presley, better team, better ratios. Um, but you can make a kind of a comp there, I guess, just based on age. But the more I think about it, not really, honestly. Kenley Jansen is still very good, though. Uh, where he is going in drafts, I think, is a borderline steal getting a primary closer. for I mean, they're not going to be a great team. But, you know, you're probably going to get 28, 30 saves out of him just because he will have that role. So no problem at all taking Kenley Jansen as the ninth closer off the board. Number 10. I have David Bednar, and I really like David Bednar. He also fits kind of into that Devin Williams category of maybe he gets traded, and that is something that does concern me a little bit. Also, the fact that you know, even if he doesn't get traded, he's pitching for a piss-poor team, and the save opportunities will probably be limited to, like, I'm going to say 25 saves is probably about as much as you're probably going to get from him, but you're going to get good strikeouts. Again, a lot of these closers, very similar arguments. You get good strikeouts and good ratios from a lot of these guys at the top of the board. With Bednar, you're probably getting a sub-3 ERA. You're getting a whip that's going to be no more than about 1.1, 1.15. Last year, it was 1.12. The year prior, was 0.97. The only real worry is that, like I said, he's pitching for a shitty team. Maybe he ends up with, like he had last year, 19 saves or 25 saves. I think he did miss a bit of time last year, but there is not a hell of a lot of upside there in terms of just save potential for him. So that's why he is number 10. I still feel very comfortable going into the season with him. Probably not as my number one closer necessarily. Uh, he's probably somebody where if you end up with him as your number one closer, you need to hammer a couple of guys immediately right after get guys in this, you know, 100 to 150, 160 pick range and really hammer a couple of them in there because he's not somebody that I would be that confident in. But still, uh, you're going to get good production across four categories. And even if it's not 30 saves, 25 saves is still incredibly valuable whatever, wherever you're playing. Um, I like him. I just don't like him quite as much as the guys going just ahead of him. Uh, number 11 on my list is Felix Batista, and he would have been higher. But there is just so much nonsense going around right now about his injuries, and there was, I'm just going to pull it up right now because there was a couple of things that were that were nagging him. Uh, there was a shoulder. There was also a knee. Uh, you know, there's not, not promising news that was coming out over the last week. Now, he did throw a bullpen session two days ago, but I'm not 100% sure that he is going to be ready for opening day because the last report was he hopes to be ready for opening day. And when you hear that, it's not not the greatest bit of news that you can hear. So I think the skills are there. I think the role is there for him once he does get healthy. I just don't really like drafting injured guys going into the season and having to deal with all the nonsense that goes along with that. So I, I think he's fantastic. I'm just a little bit worried about, you know, is he going to miss a month? Is he going to be ready for opening day? Is he going to be shut down for two months? Like I have no idea what's going to happen at this point. That would be a worst-case scenario When you got multiple nagging injuries in two parts of your body that are important for pitchers, shoulder and knee, it definitely does not give me that warm, fuzzy feeling. So that's why he's been pushed down a little bit. If it was not for the injury concerns, I probably would have had him at number 7, maybe number 8, but the way it stands, I have him at number 11 right now. Moving on to number 12, I have Pete Fairbanks, and this might be considered to be a little bit high for Pete Fairbanks, but I think that he is in for a big season. We had Greg Jewett on the show, I guess it would have been a month and a half ago, something like that. And we went through closers, and he mentioned some guys that he is really looking at this season. Greg Jewett is the closer expert for The Athletic. He has Reliever Recon, his Patreon, which is well regarded as one of the better closer uh, products that you can find, that you can put your money into out there if you're playing fantasy baseball and he was pretty big on Pete Fairbanks. He's projecting him to be their closer. Looking at the stats, like he didn't play a lot last season. It was 24 games, but he had eight saves. He had a 1.13 ERA, and he was striking out 43% of the batters he faced. Now, will he do that over a whole season? Strike out 43%, only walk three and a half percent. You know, his K minus walk rate was over 40. It's not going to be that over the course of a full season. But can he give you like a 30 plus percent K rate still? His career number is 32. I think he can. Even if the walk rate doesn't you know stay where it is, can he keep it lower than what he's had in these previous seasons, which were all double digits? I personally think he can. You know, he's going to regress a little bit because last year was just incredible. And you also have to worry about Jason Adam. But for me, a, a big part of this ranking comes down to Greg Jewett and how much I trust his mind and what he knows about closers. I'm um, I, I, looking at the stats, like he is, he's incredibly good, Pete Fairbanks. The only real concern I have is how much Jason Adam gets the ball as well in the ninth inning. I think that is something that we'll have to think about, because Jason Adam was incredible last season. I had him on a couple of teams, and even when he wasn't closing games, he was still giving you great ratios, great numbers across the board, and he was you know, a very solid fantasy asset for you, despite the fact that he didn't have a crazy number of saves. I'm just pulling up Jason Adam now. Uh, he had eight saves. He had a 156 ERA. So there are there's a chance that he will be turned to sometimes when it comes to the ninth inning. They're both currently listed as the closer according to roster resource. But I think Pete Fairbanks, you got the higher K upside overall, he's a couple years younger. I feel like Tampa will probably end up going with him for the bulk of the save chances. Even if the projections are generally calling for there to be a mix. Um, Jason Adam projected for about 11 saves. Pete Fairbanks projected for. i I'm just pulling it up here, the page refreshing. I think it was 19, uh, depending on where you're looking, 16 through 19 saves. So it's definitely not set in stone, and this is one I could be wrong about, but I really like Pete Fairbanks, and a shout-out to Greg Jewett for his for his knowledge that he shared on the podcast when he was on here. You guys should go and listen to that one. It was called A Sigh of Relief, that particular episode. That one is definitely worth listening to for your closer speculative uh, speculations, and there's a couple other guys, one in particular that we're going to talk about later on that Greg also put me on to. Uh, But I have Pete Fairbanks at number 12, and I feel pretty good about that ranking, Uh, even while acknowledging that there's a chance that it blows up in my face and he ends up outside the top 20. I, I do like him a lot, and I am willing to invest in him this season. Now, number 13 and number 14 are connected. It is Andres Munoz, and it is Paul Seewald. And I was talking about this over on Twitter this morning. I sent out a tweet. And it just said, I love Andres Munoz. He might be a bit overpriced considering how excellent Paul Seawald is. And Paul Seawald, really, if you look at the numbers, is excellent. And I said I wouldn't be at all surprised if both remain in similar roles as last year and Munoz ends up busting at his ADP. And Munoz is actually more expensive than Seawald right now by about a round. It's, you know, I, I'm there. I'm Munoz, I think, is a better pitcher. It's not like a crazy large amount. But I do think Munoz is a better pitcher. But at this point, Seawald is a guy that they have trusted in the past. You know, he doesn't strike out the same amount of batters that you're going to see out of Munoz. But when you're talking about what Seawald does and what he did last year even, uh, he is really, really good. Uh, you know, those K numbers might only be like 10 strikeouts per nine, but the BABAP he allowed was 158. Hearing Ian Osiris talk on rates and barrels last week, a lot of the projections have him going for like a 270 BABIP next season. He has them for like 210, 220, those skills that he has of keeping the ball not in the open parts of the field, however the hell he does it. I'm not really sure, Uh, but Eno and the guys at the Athletic think that he can continue to do that, and I'm going to trust Eno's pitching metrics more than I'm going to trust myself because Eno's been at this a long time. If you guys are not familiar with Pitching Plus and Stuff Plus and Location Plus, check it out at the Athletic. Uh, It is advanced metrics that quantify pitches that Eno has put together for several years now. And he's he's trusted. He is he is trusted for a reason. And somebody like Seawald, he likes. And it's hard not to like him when you look at him, especially the fact that he was given the bulk of the closer role last year. He had 20 saves in 65 games. He gave you a 2.67 ERA. He was very very good for you last season. And I think then you know the WHIP. Christ, never mind the WHIP of 0.77. Um, he was incredible for you last season. Now even though I think that Munoz is a better pitcher overall. And you, you saw it last year. I wrote him up. I talked him up. He was one of my guys last season. Even though he wasn't getting saves, he was a mainstay on a lot of my teams. He had four saves, but he was striking out more than 13 batters per nine innings. He had a two forty nine ERA. He had a .89 whip. And I shouldn't use K per nine. I should use strikeout percentage. That's really what I, I should be doing. 38.7% K rate, a 6% walk rate. He was ridiculously good. And that's the conundrum that I have here, is that... You know, we're drafting Munoz as if he is going to take over as the closer. Everybody in the industry has kind of brushed over Paul Seawald in the fantasy industry and has kind of crowned Munoz as the king. And not wrong to do so necessarily. Munoz is is fantastic. If Munoz did end up as the closer, I wouldn't be shocked by it. But just looking at the skills of Paul Seawald, uh, you know, I'm not quite ready to crown Munoz the king there in Seattle yet. I still think that there is a chance that these guys end up splitting saves, and a lot of the projections tend to agree. Munoz is projected for anywhere from 10 to 14 saves, which I, I think that that's, you know, maybe, uh, and, you know, honestly, it feels right. The more I look at it, it feels pretty right. Seawall projected for 19-20. Now, maybe it ends up being a flip of that, and you see Munoz get 20, and you see Seawall get 14-15. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I do know that this competition will be pretty fierce because these guys are both incredible pitchers. They are They are amazing, and that's why they are back-to-back here. I don't know what is going to happen, but if either one of them, and even if they're not the closer, we saw it last year with Munoz, he can be incredibly valuable. It would more so affect Seawald if he is in the setup role, because he doesn't have the strikeouts to fall back on. Even though the ratios are pretty good, Munoz has that really spectacular strikeout rate, where even Seawald is good, but Munoz is is elite. It's on a whole other level. So if it does end up being Munoz as the closer, then Seawald would have to be pushed down in these rankings. My current rankings are assuming that it will be Seawald as the closer. And it still has Munoz one spot higher just because of everything else he does for you. But if Paul Seawald is announced as, you know, if there's anything wrong with him, if there's some kind of shoulder thing or whatever kind of injury, or Munoz is named as the closer, then Seawald drops out of the top 20 here pretty easily. He probably falls out of the top 25. Uh, Those strikeouts really prop up Munoz for me. They're very close. And, you know, maybe I should have Seawald at 13 and Munoz at 14, but they should be back-to-back as far as I see it right now. And they're going, you know, not exactly back-to-back uh, by ADP, but they're pretty damn close. Seawald at 167, and you got Munoz at 133. Or, excuse me, 154. Uh, 133 is the minimum pick on Munoz there in these recent 10 drafts we're looking at. It's a tricky situation. I really don't know exactly what to make of it. If you can, you know, take both. Take both, and then you are guaranteed that you have one or the other, or even both. And, you know, if Seawald ends up as a closer, then you can roster both of them pretty comfortably. If it is Munoz, then you drop Seawald, and you have a streaming spot, and you're probably not thrilled you invested a top 200 pick in Seawald, but that would probably be what happens if they do give the reins to Munoz. As much as, honestly, I don't even know what to make of it. I don't even know what I would prefer. For me, my Munoz love Would like to see him as the closer, but I'd hate to see Paul Seawald fall off the fantasy map as well. So it's a little bit tricky. um, But as of right now, Munoz at 13 and Paul Seawald at 14. Now, moving on to the next guy I have. I have him much lower than where he is, where you're going to find him in rankings, or where you're going to find him based on ADP, because I'm not really sure about other people's closer rankings. But it's Camilo Doval. And the reason for this drop is because of Taylor Rogers and because San Francisco said to us, They said to everybody that they're looking to have somebody else come in to kind of supplement the ninth inning for Doval. And they did it. They brought in Taylor Rogers, who does have experience as a closer, and that does not give you that warm feeling. It does not at all, especially if you're investing a top 100 pick in Camilo Doval. I'm really not sure that you're going to be too happy about it because there's a lot not to like. He walks too many batters, even though it's not – like crazy high amount he's walking over 10 percent of batters the strikeout rate is good but it's not elite for a closer at 28 percent he's a block or strike out about 10 batters per nine innings 10 and a half it's good it's not elite and you know if they didn't bring in taylor rogers i'd feel a lot better about camilo doval but the fact that there is somebody else there who is going to take away opportunities from him right off the bat we know that before the season even starts you got to push him down a little bit. I think the draft price is egregiously high at 80. His his minimum pick in just, just the most recent 10 drafts is 63. I can't get behind it. I think the skills are fine, but he doesn't strike out nearly as many batters as he should for where he is going. Even if he gets back up to what he did the year prior, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not really there. I'm not really there for him uh, as a top 100 pick. And you know let's say he does get back up to 33% k rate maybe he does uh but still the fact that taylor rogers is there who will be chipping away at his save total uh, i'm t- that's that's the huge thing that is really it i mean the strikeouts are, are one thing uh, you know the ratios are fine everything else is is relatively fine the team is okay around him but it's the fact that oh well, i I guess the whip is maybe a touch high but it's the fact that taylor rogers is there and they're going to give him more opportunities than we probably think they are so uh, with Doval for me, he is—he's pretty much scratched off my list because of where he is going in drafts. So I'm not going to have any shares of him, unless maybe on a different site. For sure, not in any NFBC leagues because people are overvaluing him over there at pick 80. People are taking him in the 60s. So I, I just—I just can't do it at that point. It feels too rich for me, and it probably should be for you too because even though he's a young—not stud—he's a young, very good pitcher. There's just too many variables there for me. And let's say he does have the full time role in San Francisco. They're okay. Um, how many how many saves can we expect? Best case scenario? Probably about 30 with all right save or with all right strikeout numbers. And 30 for me would be like best case scenario for him. And even as I say it, it's probably closer to 25. And when you factor in Rogers, it's probably gonna be in the teens. I, I would not be surprised at all to see Doval end up having a save total in the teens. So for me, he's number 15. I'm just really not about having him on my teams this year. But let's move it on to number 16, and that's Clay Holmes. And at this point, you know, yeah, this is like the back end of acceptable for your, for your starting closer role here. Clay Holmes, very good, but I don't know exactly how good he's going to be. I don't think the strikeouts are going to be there the way we would probably want. We're also probably remembering early season Clay Holmes and how good he was in the first half. It was a 131 ERA in the second half. It was 4.84. Like, he was not nearly as good down the stretch as, you know, maybe our memories are lying to us, and we just look at the stats for the whole year, and it was a 2.54 ERA. He did struggle down the stretch. His strikeouts are fairly poor for a closer at 25%. Not something you can look at and say, he's going to, you know, bolster me in this category regardless of if he is the closer or not. Let's say he's coming out of the game in the eighth inning one day. He might throw an inning and strike out nobody. He might have one strikeout and, you know, At that point, I'm not that interested. But the thing that does keep him where he is in rankings is the fact that he is the closer for a very good ball club. As much as it pains me to say it, he'll get the bulk of the ninth-inning role for the Yankees, and there might be other guys who do take a couple of chances here and there. Um, But I think that we're probably going to see him get upwards of 35 save opportunities, probably probably 40-ish save opportunities. And I think we're probably going to see him get close to 30. Uh, even though it's going to come with probably fewer strikeouts than you would want, and the ratios are, are a little bit unknown at this point considering you know how amazing he was for the first half. He was just on one, and then it kind of fell apart. I'm not sure what we're going to see exactly, but the save stability that you have pitching for the Yankees, that is why I have him where I have him at number 16. Now, number 17, this is a tricky one for me. I, I love this pitcher. I am enamored by this pitcher, really, if I'm being totally honest with you, and that's Juan Duran. And if you guys listened to my content last season, you know how I feel about Duran. And the thing that's standing in his way is Jorge Lopez. I don't know what to make of the Duran-Lopez situation. I think that there's a chance that you might see Lopez have more opportunities, but I still think that I would rather have Juan Duran. I think it'll probably be a fairly even split honestly, but you're getting much better strikeouts with Duran. You're getting a better pitcher in him. And I mean, the price is the thing that does scare me off of him a little bit. But this is not in relation to price. This isn't, these aren't, these rankings aren't, you know, who's the best deal. It's who do I think is going to have the most value. And even though Duran is going to pick 130, Lopez going about 100 picks later, I still do prefer Duran. I mean, if you're talking about just based on pure pick value, you might go with Lopez because you're saving 100 spots at draft capital. You might have similar save numbers come end of season. But with Duran, you're getting much better strikeouts. You should expect much better ratios. He's coming off a 186 ERA. You know, he had been a starter in the minors, but he has not really... I don't think they're going to make him a starter here in the big leagues. I don't think that there's really room for him in the rotation right now. And you know, having starter stuff coming out of the bullpen, coming out of the ninth inning... Is something that a lot of teams would love to have, and that's what they got here with with Duran. 33% K rate last season, 6% walk rate. I'm a big fan of his. Lopez is obviously standing in the way, and I think they'll, we'll probably see a fairly even split in terms of saves. But we're at the point here with these rankings where saves are kind of a toss-up anyway. And the guys that you are getting saves from that we're going to talk about going down the list here, you know, your Scott Barlows and, and such you're not getting that same security that you're having in other categories that you would with a guy like Juwan Duran, in my opinion. So I have him here at 17 while acknowledging also that this pick could blow up a little bit. He might fall out of this. He could he could smash this. Like, he could realistically, if they say to Lopez, and Lopez, you know, he's fine, but he's not somebody with a track record of closing outside of last year. Maybe they just say, you know what, Duran is our closer. We want to work him as the ninth-inning guy of the future. In that case, like he could very easily be a top 10 closer on the season. I would not at all be surprised by it. But right now, I have him where I have him, which is number 17, because there is still some uncertainty. But the skills, he's he's a top 10 reliever, in my opinion, or top 12, just based on the skills that he has. So it's just a matter of how much Lopez is going to eat into that value. But Juwan Duran at 17, I feel pretty good about that ranking. Let's keep it going. And talk about Alexis Diaz, who I, man, I, I don't know what to make of him either. I, I like him a lot, and I think the potential is there for him to have a great season, but there's also the potential for it to be kind of disastrous. So in 59 games last year, he had 10 saves. First of all, Cincinnati, the way that they use their closers, the way they use their bullpen is awful for fantasy managers. It's terrible to know who's going to get the chances night in and night out. You might, get, you might get lucky with Diaz, and he might just be the every single day closer. There's also a chance that the Reds end up using three or four different guys. And it was like, you know, Raver, San Martin, and different crazy people getting save opportunities last year. Lucas Sims and different guys who are not really worthy. Well, Diaz, I think he probably is worthy. We see the strikeout numbers are legit. There's a couple of concerns, obviously. And one of them is the walk rate. That's the big one. 13% walk rate last year made the strikeout strikeout minus walk rate actually go below 20%, even with the 32% K rate. Now, he had a 184 ERA, which is great. But when you look at the pitching indicators, it was a 276 XERA. It was a 332 FIP. It was a 397 XFIP. He did outperform his statistics based on what he should have probably done last season. So there is a bit of a risk, especially in the ballpark that he is in, that things could get ugly. And someone, you know, last year his homer per nine was .71. That's very good for that ball. It's very good for any ballpark. But for that ballpark, it's honestly incredible. That is a potential that we could see, you know, that number skyrocket. And the projections do have that number going to, at the very minimum, 1.13. And the maximum there, uh, Steamer has him going for 1.25 homers per nine. So there's a chance that this doesn't end up being as nice of a situation as we think. But the strikeouts are there. If he does have the role, then he could he could smash. And maybe he does keep that home run rate below one homer per nine which would be incredible he did it over 59 games last year whether that's just an outlier whether we can expect that I'm not sure but I think at this point based on who we have left available to us on the board he is definitely the highest upside closer that is there so number 18 for me I understand if you want to have him higher or lower but I think that that feels pretty correct in terms of where to rank Alexis Diaz among these closers now let's move on to Jose Leclerc. He is the next guy up on the list. He's projected for 19 saves. I think that we could probably see that, honestly. I mean, he only had seven last season. Now Some of the projections have him going for 21, and, and I think that's fine. We're out of the exciting range here, folks. These guys, were, like I talked about at the beginning, some of these guys later on down the list, they're not going to be as exciting, and that's just the nature of how this goes. But I think with Leclerc still, I, I don't feel bad about drafting him as like a th- Third closer. I wouldn't want to be you know relying on him as like a number one or a number two guy. But I do think if he is like just you know a little bit of insurance there in the back end of your bullpen to give you a couple extra saves, specifically if you're talking about those head-to-head leagues. I think that he is gonna be the guy. And there is there's some talk that maybe Jonathan Hernandez gets some chances, Brock Burke, there's Joe Barlow, there's Taylor Hearn, there's a lot of different guys in that pen. I think Taylor Hearn has saved a few games in his career. I might be wrong about that. Uh, There are guys who could get the opportunity, multiple guys who who could get the chance, but I think it is going to be Leclerc. Everybody expects it to be him, and you know there's not really, even though there are a couple guys who maybe get a couple chances, there's nobody else in that pen who's really as good of a pitcher as he is. And it's you know it's not a great bullpen by any means, but I think that he will get the chances. Jose Leclerc should get the majority of the chances. He's giving you good strikeout numbers while giving you you know fairly mediocre, subpar walk numbers to be honest. But that WHIP last year was only 1.13. Uh, The ERA was, where was it, 283. So you're still talking about a guy who's coming off of a very good season who does have the primary closer role for his team or is expected to have the primary closer role for his team. So give me Jose LeClerc here. He's not terribly expensive. Let me just check in on his price right now. I'm I'm trying to avoid ADP as much as I possibly can. I'm guessing around pick 200 or so. Uh, 175 is where he is going right now. At that price, I like it. You know, it's probably a little bit higher than he should based on just general skill set. But closers do fly off the board. You do get panicky trying to get some of these last couple of guys an occasion, depending on your draft room. So I have no problem with Jose LeClerc. I'll take him here as number 19, and I'll take him just inside the top 200 pretty comfortably. I think that he can be fine. Not exciting by any means, but I think that he can give you a fine season out of the pen regardless. Now, moving into the 20s, Scott Barlow at number 20, and I like Scott Barlow, and I wanted to put him a little bit higher than 20, but when you think about the fact that Aroldus Chapman is there, he's probably going to be given a chance to close. I'm not sure what the most recent news on Aroldus Chapman is or the reporting out of Royals Camp or whatever, but they signed Aroldus Chapman... Probably not to come out of the you know come into the sixth inning and throw an inning here and there. Like I think that they are going to give him a chance at some point. And even though I think Barlow at this point is certainly a better closer, he certainly has better command, which I'm I probably have better command than Chapman does at this point. I, I think that they are, will give him some chances, so that will probably eat away at Barlow's save potential. The projections have him going from anywhere from twenty to twenty five. Get twenty four of them last year with great ratios. Two eighteen was his ERA last season, which was I'd forgotten it was that low, and the WHIP was one on the dot. There is a lot of potential for him to be very good, but you have to factor in Chapman. You have to look at the fact that the Royals are not going to be a great team overall. So there are a lot of red flags there when you're thinking about whether or not you should take Barlow. So uh, he is a guy that falls into the same kind of category for me as Leclerc. If you're falling behind a little bit in your saves, if you need to kind of bolster them a little bit here... I would I would be inclined to take him. I think the price is maybe a little bit high at 138 right now just because of Chapman. I think Chapman does muddy up the water, and we don't really know what's going to happen. So I, between the two of them, I'm leaning LeClerc specifically because of the price. He's, you're getting him 30, 40 picks later, and I think the production will be essentially a wash between the two of them. You're looking at both guys projected for for fairly similar numbers here. LeClerc maybe slightly better strikeouts with more walks. So it's it's pick your poison. But I think with Leclerc, you have a bit more of a security in knowing that he is going to be the closer. Where with Barlow, I I hope he is, but I really don't know for sure if he is going to be or not. So let's move on. Let's talk about the next guy on the list. That's number 21 for me, and that's Alex Lang of the Detroit Tigers. Now, we just did a Tigers preview earlier in the week, like I mentioned earlier today with Paul Spohr. Alex Lang is the only guy in that pen who can possibly close. Like, that pen is rubbish. It is terrible. If there is somebody, like, we talked about this on Monday, if you guys want to go back and listen to the Spore episode, if he does go down, if he gets hurt, or if he sucks, then the closer who would replace him is likely not on the roster because there's nobody else kicking around that Detroit bullpen who I think is capable, or who Paul Spore thinks is capable, of closing games with the Tigers. It's, it's really rough when you go through it. Jason Foley, Jose Cisnero, Will Vest, Tyler Alexander, for a lot of them, it feels like the name's been pumped through a random name generator. And they might as well have been for fantasy purposes. These guys are not going to do anything for you. But Alex Lang could actually go out there and give you a great season. And he's somebody who could very easily jump inside the top 20 of these rankings. Um, throughout the season, and maybe even higher. You know, he's got great strikeout numbers while also having some control issues. He was walking over 11% of batters. It's always kind of been a concern with him. The walk rates have been too high, but the strikeout rate over 30 is definitely positive. I'm not sure what we're going to see in terms of total number of saves because of how bad Detroit is, but 20 to 25, even on the worst of teams, you can expect 20 to 25 probably... I mean, if a guy has the regular role on a team, 20 to 25 is totally reasonable, and I think with Lang... We'll call it twenty. What for? What I would expect, ATC has them for twenty-one, uh, steamer for twenty-two. I think that range is totally totally fine. Well, he's giving you good strikeout numbers, probably about thirty percent. Some projections calling for twenty-six. Some of them calling for thirty. Somewhere in that range, he's still giving you positive strikeouts with probably good save numbers. Probably not great save numbers, but at least there's no competition. You know, at least you don't have to worry about you know with Barlow and Chapman or different you know Munoz and Seawald or Duran and Lopez, at least you just kind of know he's going to get the ball in the ninth inning every time they're up three runs. You don't have that security with a couple of other guys, even though I think that, you know, he's kind of an unknown still, Alex Lang. We don't really fully know how good he is at the big league level because we haven't seen that much of him. He's pitched in, was it, he's actually pitched in 107 games, uh, but 71 of them were this past season. Um, I just, I'm still a little bit unsure in general, but can he give you 20 saves, good strikeouts, couple of wins, and all right ratios? I think he can, and you know I think that at that point, he fits as well into that category of, I don't want him as my number one closer by any mean, but you're getting him a pick 224, so you don't really need to take him as your number one or even your number two. He's like a number three, number four kind of closer type, depending on how you build out your team, and he could still return great value for you, so I like him a lot at number 21, I could honestly put him at 20 ahead of Barlow, and I might end up doing that before these hit the website. Uh, You know, a little bit more security there with him. But either way, uh, I think these guys all fit into a tier of you want to have them as your third or fourth closer, not somebody that you want to be taking at the top of your, or not somebody you're slotting into the top of your closer depth chart on your teams. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about number 22 on this list, and that is Kendall Graveman of the Chicago White Sox. This is an unfortunate one. Uh, that Liam Hendricks is not going to be ranked here, and it's because he is dealing with cancer. We wish him the quickest recovery possible. He's a great dude. We hope to see him back on the field very soon. But until he is, uh, I think Kendall Graveman is the guy. And there has been talk uh, on Twitter in the fantasy community about it's going to be Lopez. It's going to be Ronaldo Lopez. I don't really see that happening necessarily. I mean, it's totally possible. um, But at the end of the day, Graveman has the closer background not that it's like a hell of a lot of closing experience where lopez has zero saves in his career he has never saved a ball game at least with graveman he does have that a little bit of experience it's not a lot of experience but he was a closer for a while with seattle he saved some games with chicago last season as well i think that he will be the guy and i think that when you're looking at team context it's a good team you're gonna get and it really depends on liam hendricks If Liam Hendricks comes back, you know, a month and a half into the season, then this ranking is not going to look very good. But I'm expecting it to be on the longer side of the timeline. Cancer is obviously horrible, horribly tricky. You don't really know what's going to happen there. I mean, on the outside here, we don't know if it's going to take a couple months or longer, but you have to assume it's going to be on the longer end of the timeline. So I would say you're probably getting four, at least four months out of Graveman as the closer. Should be able to get 20 saves out of him, a couple of wins. You know, the strikeouts are very mediocre at 23%, but you're pitching for a good team, and they're going to probably have more save opportunities than you're going to find for other, other random teams. Chicago should win their division. They should absolutely win their division. Whether they do or not is a whole other question, but they should be in line for a lot of saves, and I think Craven is going to get the bulk of them for the early part of the season. I don't think it'll be Lopez. Maybe it will be. That's not what I'm personally expecting but I am taking uh, Kendall Graveman wherever I can because he's still fairly cheap. Let me just take a look at this updated price right now, 241. He's another guy where you don't have to pay up a lot. You're getting good save numbers, at least for the first part of the season. Later on, you can drop him if you want. No problem. But for right now, Kendall Graveman at 22 for me. And number twenty three is Carlos Estevez, and this one goes back to my conversation, like I mentioned, with Greg Jewett, and he is very much in on Carlos Estevez as the Angels' closer. You could argue that he should be a little bit higher in this ranking. Maybe you could argue he could be a little bit lower, but the skills are there. The skills are there. He has been pitching in Colorado, which you don't really know how good someone is going to be when, until they get out of Colorado. Even if you look at last season splits, um, you know the home numbers and the away numbers, not much of a difference. But when you look at some of the advanced numbers about his actual pitch quality away from Coors versus how he pitches at Coors, he is a lot better away. And I mean, last year was a little bit of an outlier for him; the ERA was a couple ticks lower at home. For the career, he has a 5.57 home ERA and a 3.51 away ERA. He should be getting the majority of the closing opportunities in Los Angeles. I think that he will get at least a good good chunk of them, and he's projected for anywhere from 14 to 16. He's going to give you not great strikeout numbers, but at this point, you're just looking for guys who are going to get you saves. And Estevez, you know, considering he's going out of Colorado, he could really blow up in a way that we're not really expecting. I don't think the strikeout numbers are going to necessarily blow up, but he has given you seasons where he's striking out 26% before. That was 2019, you're talking 2020 even, it was 23 and a half, but... He can do better than what he did last season and the year before, and he's projected to have, at very minimum, a 24% K rate. Some have him as high as 25. So you're taking the average, a little bit above average strikeouts to go with somebody who should have the regular closer role and should be able to give you at least acceptable ratios away from Coors Field here. I'm taking him where I can. I think that he is pretty reasonably priced still, even though it has gone up a little bit, and I think that probably – Greg has influenced that price a little bit, uh, but he's still going to pick 251. He's still very reasonable. The minimum pick at 202, the max at 298. We're looking at the most recent 10 drafts here. I'm in on him. I think that there is a chance that we could see a breakout from him away from Colorado, and he's definitely somebody that I would be investing in where you can. The price is so cheap that you don't really need to worry. If you're at the end of your home league, 12-team draft, you draft about 270 players, you take him with your last pick. If he's a closer, you have free closer. If he's not, then you drop him. But he should be the closer. He should be giving you the bulk of those opportunities. And I'm pretty happy to take him where he's going. Assuming he doesn't go up too high, which he shouldn't really. He shouldn't. uh, Maybe he gets pushed up a couple rounds. But I doubt he goes inside the top 200 when we get into main events. And I'm very, very happy to take him at pick 250. Even if it's 230, 240, uh, I'd be there for him. Just a couple more guys to go through now. We're almost at the end of the top 25. Number 24 for me is Daniel Bard. And Daniel Bard, like we mentioned last year, was kind of a miracle for him. He gave you 34 saves for a team that won 68 games. That doesn't happen all the time. He also gave you a 179 ERA, where the career ERA for him is 364. And in recent years, it had been quite a bit worse. It was 521 in 2021. It was 365 in the short season of 2020. I mean, a lot of it comes from his time in Major League Baseball from before he was, I forget, I, there was injury stuff, and then I think he was playing overseas for a while as well. I always forget the background story with Daniel Barden. I feel like I've done this on a podcast before where I looked him up and I had to figure out what the hell he was doing for all those years. So minor league systems for a I think he was just in the minor league systems for a lot of teams for a while. That's what it was. I thought he was overseas because I guess, well, I mean, you look at a seven-year gap from a player's, time in the big leagues from 2013 to 2020 I think you just naturally assume that they were playing somewhere else but he's been all right since he's come back you know 2021 was awful for him 2022 was very good for him I don't know if we can say that 2022 is the real version though he had a 221 BABIP he stranded 81 percent of runners on base those were both well the BABIP was a career low just about I mean actually no it wasn't 2010 technically was a career low a couple points lower but We're splitting hairs at this point, 221 versus 215. It was an unrealistically good season for Daniel Bard, something that he hasn't really made a career out of doing. I'm not sure we're going to see it again. Now, the reason he is on this list is because he is a closer. He has the closer role. He is projected to have anywhere from 25 to 30 saves based on the different projection systems. And, you know, can he do that? He probably can. He's not going to get 34 again, especially for a team that wins 68 games. But 25, he could probably do that. I just worry about what he's going to do to your ratios, because historically, you know, not terrible 364 ERA, but if he gives you that 2021 season and I had him on a couple of rosters in 2021, you know, he gave you 20 saves, but it came at the expense of your ERA at 521. So I'm not fully in on him. He is here because he has a closer. He has a regular role. And I think at this point, you know, you're looking for guys who do have regular regular roles but I'm not interested really in drafting him so much for this season. He'd have to be a fallback. He'd have to be somebody where I miss out on my other targets and then it's okay. Sure. I'll take a Daniel Bard share, I guess, but he's really not somebody that you should be targeting. He should be more of a fallback option. I'm just taking a look here at where he's going. And I'm just looking at the most recent 10 drafts and he's going at, wow, he's going at 124. The minimum pick is inside the top 100 for him. See at that point, I can't do it. It's way too rich for me, personally. I'd be out on him there. Uh, but if you do end up, you know, playing in a different format where he is going cheaper, I think he should go into that same range as like Leclerc and Barlow and Lang, somewhere in the you know mid early two hundreds. Somebody that can be like a third closer for you, third or fourth. He's not somebody I'd want with my as my number one or number two. And based on the price, I don't think I'm going to have him this year, and that's totally okay with me. Not going out of my way to get pitchers at Coors Field anyway. But let's finish off this top 25 and talk about the 25th man on the list, and that is Kyle Finnegan. We're really, truly at the end here of the value. Kyle Finnegan is fine. Kyle Finnegan is okay. He is a closer. He has a regular closing role, and he should continue to have that closing role this year for the Nationals. But that's where you know, a big part of this comes from. A lot of the time, it's kind of binary, basic, the way that we look at it with closers, and it, and it makes sense. You know, are you on a good team? Do you strike out batters? Those are the things that matter. Truly, do you have the opportunity? Like, are you the regular closer? Do you strike out batters? Are you on a good team? Finnegan is on a good... T- uh, t- sorry, whoa. He is not on a good team. He is on a bad team. But he should have the regular closing role. The rest of that bullpen is is pretty atrocious. You know, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey, Victor Arano. Uh, Sean Doolittle has a non-roster invite, and I believe Sean Doolittle has some experience. Yeah, he was closing for a couple of years uh, with Washington, a little bit with Oakland. Maybe he gets some chances later on, but he's kind of pass it at this point. Non-roster invite. I wouldn't really be expecting it. I think Finnegan is, I think he's okay, and I think he's perfectly slotted for this particular spot at 25. He's kind of the last closer where you're really like, okay, if you've missed out on all these guys, I mean, hell, I hope you've got at least one or two of the guys we're talking about today on your rosters. If you miss out on all of them and Kyle Finnegan's your guy, then He's like the very last dude that you can say, okay, I have somebody who is a closer. And his job is fairly secure, but you're talking about a guy on a bad team. Maybe he gets 20, maybe 25 saves. Projections have him from anywhere from 17 to 26. ATC and the bat are at 17. Uh, Zips and Steamer are at 26, 27 actually for Zips. I don't see that happening unless we get some kind of crazy, miracle, Daniel Bard-esque season. I don't really see that happening. I I mean, maybe it does, but I think you're probably looking at in the high teens, low 20s for saves. You're getting pretty average strikeout numbers, strikeout and walk numbers, with maybe slightly above average strikeout numbers at 26%. Nothing to write home about. He is truly nothing to write home about. He is somebody where you plug in at the end if you're like, ah, oh, I'm not sure that I'm totally comfortable with my save situation, my closure situation, and I want to bolster it a little bit. You take Kyle Finnegan at pick 232. And I think that he can be pretty okay for you. Well, he's not going to blow you away. Should he have 20 saves? He should. He should have okay strikeout numbers. And I think that he'll be a a fine third closer, a fourth closer on your team. But, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us for the closer show. We haven't done a team or a, a position preview all in one show before. We'd split them up into multiple series. Usually I was doing 10 names per show before. 10 or 15 but closer I don't think they're you don't need to get into the same level of depth with certain players especially farther on down the board it's like I said do they have a regular role are they the closer for their team do they strike batters out those are very very important factors there you know ballpark context and team context are very important but do you strike batters out is a very important thing for me. And because a lot of the time it dictates if you will be a closer or not, if you can't strike out batters, you know, a lot of the time that's what the closer is called upon to do. He comes into the ninth inning. Sometimes there might be a batter on base or whatever. Maybe it's the eighth inning for a four out save. They need to be able to strike out batters. They need to be on good teams to have those opportunities and they need to be solidified in their closer role. Those are the three things you look for. If you can check off all three of those boxes on a particular guy I mean, there's more you can do looking under the hood at certain things. You know, did spin rates go down? Did velocity go down? How are the pitching indicators? But for the most part, those are the things that you look at. How good is the team? Do I have a role? Do I strike out batters? And if you're checking all three of those boxes, like you are for a lot of those guys at the top of the list, you should be pretty happy. Like I said, my strategy varies quite a bit from head-to-head versus roto versus points, where points, I mean, closers aren't very valuable in points leagues, depending on your settings, obviously, but standard points leagues – Pitchers do have a lot of value. Closers, it really depends. If you're playing on like ESPN where you get five points for a save, and I think you get points for save opportunities as well, uh, then maybe they're a little bit more valuable. But for the most part, you push closers down for points leagues. I push them a little bit up in terms of head-to-head leagues because there is that week-to-week volatility. You could have Hayter, you could have Klose, you could have Diaz and Romano all on your team, and it's within the range of outcomes that you wouldn't have one single save at the end of the week. It is possible. It's the way it works. It's not likely... But that is the way it works. Where If you have all four of those guys for Roto, then you're obviously golden. But head-to-head, there's a lot of week-to-week volatility. Reach up a little bit higher. If you're playing on Yahoo, reach up and get Josh Hader at 46, I think, is his ADP. He is my number one closer. Very happy to pass up on Diaz and Classe and go for him. But, guys, tons of strategies, tons of stuff we talked about today. I hope you guys got some enjoyment out of it and got some knowledge out of it as well. Make sure you're checking us out. At Ethos Fantasy BB, I've probably driven you guys absolutely bonkers saying it, but I've been saying it for a reason. It's because we have a ton of content that is out there now. There are 11 articles. They're going to keep coming out. We have these podcasts coming out every single day. We have Britton Allen's fantastic podcast titled It's Gone, also coming out on the weekends. You guys should definitely be subbing to both of our pods if you guys could be so kind. Let us know in the rating and review section what you think, if you enjoyed the show, if you didn't enjoy the show, certain things you'd like to see or not like to see going forward. I'd like to know what you guys think because I am a man of the people. I'd like to make you guys happy with this podcast. If there's certain things you want, then we can probably do it as long as it's not too crazy of an ask. Uh, we're not going to get major league players on this podcast most likely. But certain little things, you don't like this, you like that, let me know what you think, and we'll try and cater it more to what you guys are enjoying. But you guys can check me out over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. Once more, E-T-H-O-S, Fantasy BB. Go check it out. There's a ton of stuff available there, and the stuff is going to just keep coming out over the next couple of weeks. But we will be here tomorrow for our Blue Jays preview. We're going to be talking with Show Ali of Roger Sportsnet and the Fan 590. Make sure you're subbing so you get that one right in your feed. But until tomorrow, take care, everybody. Have a great night, and cheers.